May we continue to sing his holy name. Um, I'll be doing the scripture reading this morning, and it's from Isaiah chapter 58, verse 1 to 11. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion, and to the descendant of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say? Have you not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves. It is only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes. Is this what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To lose this chain of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free? and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing of finger and malicious talk, and if you send yourself in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in darkness, and your night will become like the new day. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a scorched land, and they will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose water never fails. God bless the reading of his words. Lord, we uh, thank you for your word. We thank you for an opportunity to gather in this place at this time to give you praise and thanks. And we ask that you'd speak to our hearts. Help us to handle your word. Help us to worship you in spirit and truth. Bless this time. Give us open hearts to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Some years ago, I was in uh, Israel on the day of Yom Kippur, you know, the holiest day of the Jewish calendar, the Day of Atonement, and it is spooky. It is so quiet, and there's like a heaviness. I always, I kind of felt too like I could actually go in the middle of a freeway and lay down on Yom Kippur, and nothing would come anywhere near me. I mean, it was just like there was nothing. Everyone was in synagogue. Everyone was fasting because you fast on Yom Kippur. You don't eat. And everyone is doing what in the synagogues? They're confessing their sins. And that is the, one of the key elements of what Yom Kippur is, thinking about your sin. And, uh, and, and when you come in, if you've been you know, some, in a country where you see such like almost like devotion, the whole world kind of stop and something, it's an incredible way it can, it's impacting to you. you know, I've been you know, in places where you see, you know, in a Buddhist monastery, 
or I've been in like, you know, um, hearing the, the calls in a Muslim nation for the prayers and seeing the, everyone stop. And, it, and it's hard. So you look at that and you naturally assume when you see such incredible devotion and everyone stopping in the midst of that ritual, God must somehow be pleased with this. What's interesting, our text today is in the midst of a scene of great devotion, God's not pleased at all. You know, we're going through a uh, series on our vision and mission statement. And, um, you know, again, it's, it's, it's who do you want to be and why do you want to do that? And it's really important, not just with the church, but in all areas of your life, to stop and have points of reminding yourself of that. You know, think about like parenting, right? You know, what, what happens in parenting all the time? You, you know, you, 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 it becomes a series of things that happen to you that you react to, right? But really, you want to stop and say, well, hold on, hold on. what kind of parent do I want to be? What am I trying to accomplish with this child? What, what kind of principles are going to guide me when all these things happen to me? Right, so you, want, you need to stop and think about what you want to do, and then guess what? You need to remind yourself, and you need to go back and look at those things, because if not, the onslaught of <laughs> the urgent will you know, make you start being something and doing something you don't want. And that is in all areas of life. So as a church, you know, it's, it's really important to begin uh, to ask ourselves, you know, again, to remind ourselves, what do we want to be? What do we want to be doing? So as we go in our vision statement, mission statement, we're going to be talking through these different items. Um, to remind you, our vision of a church, which is what you aspire to be. It's not what you are. It's what you're looking for, right? It's your aspiration. What do we want to be as a church? We want to be a vibrant community of people who are being changed by Jesus, right? Not have been changed, not will. We are in the process of being changed. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit and then boldly following God into the world, right? This is where we are going. That is our mission field. And your mission statement is what things do you want to be involved in doing that help you become this and be this? You know, what are your areas of, of activity? We say, well, there's four areas of activity. We want to be actively engaged with God and his word. We want to be fostering a caring community of disciples of Jesus. We want to bring God's healing to our hurting world. And we want to be inviting our neighbors to follow Jesus with us. This week, we're talking about this third one, bringing God's healing to our hurting world. And this is not a sermon describing the ways in which we are trying to bring God's healing to our hurting world, or even our ideas as to how to do that. It's about why is this a priority? Why do we as a church consider it a top flight priority of something we should be active in, bringing God's healing to our hurting world? That's what we want to talk about today. Why? Why we do that? Um, we're going to be looking in Isaiah 58, as you read, and for some people, that's new. For many people, um, that's a familiar passage because it actually gets brought out a whole bunch every time a church wants to talk about issues of social justice of some kind. It's like one of the go-to passages. Um, I think not in always in a good way. I think a lot of churches, when they want to be, you know, kind of driven social justice, they're often driven by politics in some ways. And then you try to sloppily use the Old Testament to justify the things you want to do. And that one seems to be quite explicit, so it's great. And what's one reason to use these kind of con out of context Old Testament passages? Because frankly, there's not much in the New Testament to use, which is kind of informative. It's really hard 
to build a theology around social justice off the New Testament or say this is what churches should be active in. And I think you don't have to look very far to find a lot of churches that have chased down this pathway and have lost their rudders theologically. You know, they've gotten astray. Now, I don't think that's inevitable. I don't think it's necessary. But I thought, let's look at one of these passages and really see what's going on there. Let's take a look at one of the hot passages, because I think when you look at the whole thing, the key is, is what's going on there and the why. The why are these things being promoted? Because I think when you understand the why, you will understand also why it does stream through the New Testament and also perhaps why it doesn't speak as explicitly as about it, about it as we might like it to. So does that sound good? And then we'll talk about a little bit about why it's hard for us to do it. So we're going to talk about the sort of Isaiah 58 and it's, you know, where it shows we're supposed to bring God's healing to a hurting world. Why are we supposed to do it? And lastly, why is it tough for us and how can we overcome that? Right? Give it a shot. That's the goal of our sermon today. So Isaiah 58, the, the context there is largely uh, often understood, and I think it is, uh, or relative to it, is the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. You might say, why is it Yom Kippur? Well, what is the one thing you know that they're doing there? It's a day. It's, an ex it's a day of fasting. And there's only one commanded day of fasting in the scripture, and that's the Day of Atonement, the Day of our sins are covered over the day of Yom Kippur. Now, we know for the time of Jesus that, they're, that they had you know, put in other fasting days. So is it absolutely because of the fast, Yom Kippur? No. But um, there are a number of things linguistically in the passage that pulls you back to it. You know, for instance, when it talks about, it talks about declaring to your sins, there's the Day of Atonement kind of reference. Later on, you'll see them humbling themselves and bowing themselves. That language is also from the Day of Atonement. And this idea of the trumpet which is a, an interesting call there. Um, on, on the day of Jubilee, right? That was a time in the Torah where it said when all things to be shred, reset every 50 years. And it was a picture of the kingdom of God, which keep in mind that picture of the Jubilee coming in. What day was the Jubilee? And how, was, how did Jubilee begin? Jubilee begin? On Yom Kippur. With what? A great trumpet blast. The sins were covered, the trumpet goes off, and essentially the in some ways, the nation is reborn, in a sense, from the Jubilee. So all those things, whether it was the Day of Atonement or not, I think it's clearly the imagery's there, if that makes sense. But one thing that's not a Day of Atonement that's unique to this passage is the idea that Isaiah is being declared, shout it aloud. Don't hold, this is really loud language, by the way. So I should shout it, because the, the, the Hebrew is loud. Shout it aloud. Don't hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their sins, their rebellion. That was not on Yom Kippur. There was a quiet, you do this stuff, and he would cover over their sins. But this kind of declaring to that, I mean, I read a passage like this, and I think I need to change my preaching style. Now, wouldn't this make a much better worship service? Shouting at you all your sins? That would have been a way better uh, confession um, earlier. And the confession of sins, I think, would have had a lot more life earlier in the service if it had followed, you know, this kind of preaching. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking about it. Um, but you might say to this, look, see, she goes, I'm not going to stand for that. And I'm out of here. And, uh, and so we'll, we'll talk about that later. It's, uh, you know. 
she first declared to me my sins. I said, no, it's like I'm speaking. I got the mic. And, but um, train of thought. All right. Uh, <laughs> okay, so you might, you might be saying that, um, you know, this kind of a context, when you get the prophets up there declaring to people their sin, what do you think of as the usual context, Old Testament? You're thinking he's on the streets. Right? He's, a nation's gone astray from him, and you are declaring to people walking in a different direction to turn back to God. It's not like in a church service, because everyone here, I hope, has come to worship God, right? Of your own free will, and you want to come together, you want to give him praise, right? Well, guess what? What's the context of this passage? It's closer to a church service, right? They are in, in it, you know, they've come and they are fasting before God. In fact, look at their attitude. I mean, this, this, is, this is what, you want to say, what is the context of this shouting and declaring their sins? Um, it's when they're day after day, they seek me out. That's a very strong statement. Day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways. They ask me for just decisions. They seem eager for God to come near them. That's pretty good stuff, right? Isn't that what you say? I mean, uh, that's the really harrowing part about this passage. These are good churchgoers. <laughs> you know, they're, they're coming and day after day seeking him, asking for his just decisions, asking these, but yet they're not right with God. I don't know about you, but that, I find this kind of harrowing. Um, you know, it's as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of God. It's kind of hard to, you know, these people who are, there's, there, and it seems like day after day, I mean, we, we can easily go, oh, look at these hypocrites. But I'm thinking they probably weren't aware they were doing any of them. It's kind of haunting, actually. You know, being in there, doing all the things. They're, they've come to worship God. They're saying this stuff. They're doing this stuff. But something is not right inside. And it's hard to know exactly what's going on. You know, um, there's a couple hints to it. It says, you know, they say, why have we fasted? You haven't seen it. We've humbled ourselves. You don't notice. He goes, yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit all your workers. It's even hard to know exactly what that means. But you remember, on the day of Yom Kippur, it was a day of rest, like profound rest. It's like a Sabbath of Sabbaths. So you, do, you do nothing. You know, they have other slaves or foreigners or others who are there, working along on it, perhaps, you know, but there was some sort of idea where they're going, look at the irony here, you are doing this exploitation. The idea that you're fasting ends in quarreling and strife, and, and that's not so hard to understand. I mean, if you guys have ever fasted, you know, yeah, you know, if you've ever been hangry, you know, it's not the most like, oftentimes when you fast, you're not feeling super spiritual. You're feeling hungry. And whatever, and for whatever thing was, this was this seemed to be what would be going on, as opposed to setting apart their hearts and things facing God. It's like showing this stuff, and um, and he, and he asks the hypothetical: Is this is this really what I'm looking for here, guys? Is this the kind of fast I've chosen, just for someone to humble themselves, bowing your head like a reed, lying on sackcloth and ashes, signs of grief and mourning? Is this what you call a fast? Is this a day acceptable to the Lord? Just kind of the haunting question, isn't it? 
You know, is this, is this really all I'm looking for is this ritual stuff and, and going to church and being a good person or whatever. You know, is this, is this really, is this what I'm, I'm looking for, all that exterior stuff? I mean, sometimes, you, you, you know, um, if you ask people, they've done kind of studies, like the main, there's two big things that come up when they say, why aren't you a Christian or why don't you believe in God and those kind of questions. And you tend to see two, there's lots of little objections, but there's always two big ones that come up again and again. You might think, what are they? Well, one of them, suffering in the world. How can God be a loving God and suffering? But the second one is the behavior of Christians. Like, if this stuff's true, <laughs> why do they act like that? Um, which is kind of haunting itself, isn't it? Um, but one thing you'd always answer to that, which is, uh, is just because people say things and just because they go to church and just because they do all this other stuff, it doesn't mean their hearts are right before God. And this goes all the way back, you know? Um, you know, and this is a common refrain uh, in the scriptures, you know? Earlier in Isaiah, the Lord says, these people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In Ezekiel, he says, uh, you know, my people, this is God speaking to Ezekiel, my people come to you as they usually do, and they sit before you to listen to your words. You know, oh, this is great. They're coming to Ezekiel to hear a prophet, but they do not put them into practice. With their mouths, they express devotion, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. Indeed, indeed to, to them, you are nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well, for they hear your words, but they do not put them into practice. Kind of haunting, isn't it? That you can actually go to a worship service and just enjoy the music and the beauty of it and be moved from the beauty of their music and walk out that door and absolutely nothing's dropped into your heart. Does this seem hard to understand? This is not hard for me to conceive of. I can feel this in myself, you know? I can, I can you know, even I can even say, man, what an, what an amazing you know, worship song that was, and then walk. Scary stuff. And so this, when you think of Isaiah 58, this is the context. Right? If you want to understand this passage, it's actually not that other stuff that you see listed. It, it's this. It's people coming before in worship and praise and God saying their hearts are far away. And then he offers an example of something. Right? And this is where you get that list of things that people use a lot. And the question that comes is, why, why is this list? So he goes, okay, you want, you want to see? Here you go. I'll give you an example. He says, of a, is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen? And then there's two sets of four here. And I think it's good to see what these things are, break them apart. The first part, he says, is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, set the oppressed free, break every yoke. All those are all kind of related, right, to the exploitation of people who are enslaved or of workers, exploiting workers. The yoke, you know, that's the, would be, I, I don't know if people were literally put under yoke, probably some, but it's the, you know, it was classically an animal yoke, right? Like, you know, two beasts of burden would have to bear this thing. And, uh, and it was often used as a metaphor for what it's like to be enslaved or the difficulty. Remember, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for my soul. So when you take God's yoke and kind of serve him and, and take his thing, it's actually, it's, it's gentle, and it brings, you know, it brings life to you as opposed to this yoke. But he's saying people are under these yokes of oppression. You want to break those yokes of oppression off the backs of people. Then the second group of four is um, 
it's, it's kind of, you see, it's like the four categories here. Um, and it's interesting, is it not to share your food with the hungry? What are they doing, by the way, right now on this day? Fasting. Isn't that interesting? They're choosing not to eat. He says, well, there's people around you who are not choosing not to eat. <laughs> you know, the irony of that. You know, um, is it not to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, to see naked and clothe them, not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? These are these four categories. You know, it's, uh, they have no, f no food, no housing, no clothing, and no family, you know? No community, no family, nothing around them. They are isolated and alone. And these, these four areas, you're like, what's going on here? You know, you start to understand what, why, what, what is it about these different areas? And what you start to see is, if you see this is an if-then, you know, kind of if you do this stuff, and then watch what it says the then. The then is like, and this is one thing that you, you, you realize as you look at this passage that something bigger is going on because the then is not like a simple little thing. Oh, then your fast will be, you know, like, it goes, no, then is then is like messianic kingdom fulfillment of all things comes in. Look at this language. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will quickly appear. Righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. You'll call. The Lord will answer. You cry for help. He will say, here am I, Hineni. Right? Remember what happens at the start of Isaiah 6? You know, he says, who will go for us? Isaiah says, Hineni, here am I. You know, send me. Here, you cry out, and God says to you, Hineni, here am I. I mean, it's just like, wow, what is going on? You know, your light will rise in the darkness. Your, your night will become like a noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. He will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose words, whose waters never fail. You start to see this is like Garden of Eden language, right? You know, you were like, you were like back in the garden, the waters are streaming up, and you are like that waters around you. The light breaks forth, the glory of the Lord behind you. You know, you, you call God answers. What is the picture here? This is the kingdom of God. This is creation as it was meant to be. It is fulfillment of all things. And you start to go, okay, here's what's going on with that list. Think about those other, like that whole like list there, the, the food, shelter. Thing. Go back to the garden. What's the, the purpose of God's whole creation, right? He made this beautiful garden that had everything that was needed for us. And he places the man and woman in the garden. The food, the shelter. They didn't even need clothing, but when they needed clothing, he provided for them. And family and connection and people. And the idea is that the world, and, and there's no oppression, right? There's work, but the work is a blessing. It's a, it, it brings, but now it's the oppressional yoke, and work itself becomes this burden of yoke. And you don't have, people don't have food, they don't have clothing, they don't have shelter, they don't have family. The world is profoundly broken, right? And so you see what they're being called to do is essentially, you know, uh, bring in the redemption of the world. Make the world as it was intended to be. And you see, this was Israel's calling in part, right? This is one of Israel's key calling. God sees his broken world, and what's his method for the redemption of the world? He created a people who would become like a mini kingdom, right? This, like a, a group that would show forth his glory, teach the world, where God would actually dwell in their midst. 
And I know it's hard for us to sometimes look at all these different laws and go, I don't get why all those different laws are describing, because you know, it's tricky for us. And I don't want to get into all that, but you got to say that is the purpose of all of them. But look at just some of them, just to give you some of a picture of some of the laws that you start to go, oh, okay. You know, they say, don't take advantage of a hired man who's poor and needy, whether he's a brother Israelite or an alien living among you. Don't worry. It doesn't matter if he's part. Pay him his wages each day before sunset because he's poor and he's counting on it. You know, don't oppress him. Otherwise, he may cry to the Lord against you and you'll be guilty of sin. <laughs> you know, God is watching this right now. And I don't care the power you have because you have power over this worker. He goes, uh-uh. <laughs> you know, you don't have power. And this guy's going to take him up. He's going to take up his power, which is with the Lord himself. Do not deprive the alien or the fatherless of justice. Take the cloak or take the cloak of the widows as a pledge. What's alien? I mean, uh, alien, fatherless, widow. What are all these people? These are people who don't have that family community, right? These are all people who don't have the, the natural support of themselves. They are isolated from that, like that fourth group, right? their own flesh and blood. You know, they're exposed. And God's eyes are always on these ones who are exposed with that. You know, when you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, you know, this is how the harvest would have it. Leave it for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow, so the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And the idea is that they would harvest, and there would be a couple things left, you know, when you go over the harvest. They say, don't you dare go back over and clean up. You know, you just go through and you leave stuff. You know, <laughs> and, and then the poor and the fathers will go through there. And what will they experience when they go through it after you? It'll be like the garden. The food will just be provided for them. You know, it's like, it's almost like, it, it's like a glimpse of going back to the garden and redeeming it, if that makes sense. Do you see, it's, it's really a powerful idea. So they were, to, they were to be like this. And so this was Israel's call to, to kind of, you know, in the midst of this broken world, that all the nation would look at it, that even the surrounding peoples, the aliens among them, would feel it, and God would break into the world like that. But what will we know by the time we come to Isaiah 58? It, you know, the nation's not doing that. They, they, had, they were no longer being this, you know, light that's breaking forth this thing, but they were in worship, they're doing all the ritual kind of stuff, but they've kind of lost part of their mission and calling and the way God wants to do it. Now we come into the New Testament now, and you're right, we're still God's people, right? The church is still there, and we're, you're still the main goal by which God is like bringing his redemption into the world. Nothing's changed with that. That's why the through line is still there. Now you're not gonna see a lot of the explicit language because it's not a government. <laughs> you know, it's not a, it's not a nation, it's not this big collective thing of power, you know, it's, it, but so you still see the same through line though, and the same calling of the church to be, what is our, what's our mission statement again? To do what? Bring God's healing to our hurting world. This is just a natural part of God's whole plan of what he's doing with his people here, right? We are to be this element of healing into the world. And that's what we say, we have, if we want to be a church, we, have, we need everyone here to, to recognize this is part of your calling in life. This is part of, you know, God has set you apart. He's redeemed you. He's forgiven you. He's cleansed you. Now go be his healing now in the world. As you gather together, this is just, again, it's just part of what you should be. Because like Isaiah 58, we don't want to be like that. We don't want to just have this really wonderful worship time and somehow let the brokenness all around you not really fulfill all that God has for us or wants for us, right? Now, what's one of the risks you can translate this message into a, oh gosh, God loves me, so I better get going. 
you know, I got to do this different stuff. And it happens like that, isn't it? It becomes like a works righteousness somehow. God will love me only if I do these things. That's not what's going on here. God's, in, it, he's inviting you to come and live out all that you're meant to be, to being transformed into his image. I love this one verse, catch this. It said, um, remember it says, your light will break forth and your healing will quickly appear. Isn't that amazing? So Israel's healing happens in the midst of them healing. Because they're broken too, right? They're broken people too. But as they are beginning to walk in God's ways, they are being transformed and healed. Do you know when I, 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 I actually, it was this amazing thing. I, I looked at this thing, I was studying, I was going, wow, that's so incredible. Our healing happens through their healing as I was studying this. And then Mary Phillips sends me what she wants to say. And I went, oh my goodness, what's her theme? I was healed as I tried to heal others. And I was like, I'm, I'm sorry, I go, this, is, this must be a word from God for us. I, meant, I, that's what I was just like, I, I found it just amazing, you know, because it really was almost that exact line, right? And, and, and I thought it was also a, a powerful thing. You don't necessarily have to, right? You can do all this kind of stuff, but it doesn't necessarily work for your healing. So it's a funny thing like that. But as you do these things, God actually heals and changes you. I mean, you know, I go to the, you know, whatever, I go every week to the substance abuse folks. I've talked about that, you know? And it's amazing, but what do you, what do you go there? So I'm like, why are you even here volunteering? And it's just like, you know, because you, you accept that you actually are this person of healing and you're there to be this healing to these folks. But I'll tell you, a funny thing can happen is if I start to go there because I'm supposed to or because I'm trying to, like, be a good person or something like that, I slightly despise him. You know, something ha it's, there's a resentfulness in me or a judgmentalism over, like, what's wrong with these people? And guess what? I'm not being healed. <laughs> you know, I, the healing's not happening there. You know, it's when you really see them, like you said, as, as you see people as hurting people and you see brokenness of this world and an element of healing, that's when you heal. Because the reality is, is every single thing in life, you're changed one way or the other. You walk past a hurting person, <laughs> if you turn to them and help them, you, get, you, you change. If you ignore them, you change. There's no neutral thing. You know, so you are being changed, if you like it or not. Uh, something I started doing years ago, which I am not, I'm, for a reason, I'm telling you not to do this. It's just what I do. But I, you know, and um, every time someone asks me for something, you know, every, everywhere I am, I just give them a dollar. And you might think, well, there's a problem, you know, and you might think, I just, because I, well, I've tried different things. I've tried, you know, granola bars and oranges and people, oh, it's too acidic. Okay, you know. Um, so it's like, no oranges. Okay. But it tells you something, you know, people, you know, are really hurting, even though they don't want an orange. Um, but, but the reason that was is that I found that when I would say no or something like that, I couldn't do it in a way that was healing for me. I found that when I would just give something to someone who came up to me, that when I looked that I could look them in the eye and give them something and they became like a person who cared and they would look at me and we'd look in each other's in the eye and say, thank you, say, God bless you, and you just kind of go on. And, and I found that it was, it changed. And when I didn't, it was not healing for me. So I mean, you know, does that make sense? But now what's the problem with that? What if everyone here, everyone started giving a buck to every single person who asked? We'd have a bigger problem. <laughs> Can you imagine what would happen? And what's one of the problems there is that this is, this is where you get into the system problems, right? 
you realize that that, doesn't necessarily, that that does not necessarily work as a collective system for our whole country because we'll end up with, you know, it just, and, and so what happens then? You get caught up thinking, oh gosh, because the systems as to why they're like that are so complex and difficult. Why is these people, um, why are they on the streets asking for money? How do I make it so they don't in the future? How do I develop a system which, is my dollar system a good system? No, it's probably a bad system. And so what's the temptation? I just can't deal with any of it. And this is one of the th really hard things, I think, when you address this thing. You just get overwhelmed by all it is. You get overwhelmed by how the system problems behind all of it. I mean, I think about we do, you know, care for, and there's, and there's a simplicity sometimes with just caring for people who are hurting. I think of the, the, the foster, you know, caring for kids in foster care. Right, these are hurting kids. In some way, that's clean. You want to help them. You want to care for them. These guys are hurting. They have no one to watch this for them. But you want to start addressing the issue is, okay, why do we have families that aren't families. Why do we have kids going around like this? Why aren't people caring for their children? Why are kids happening out of wedlock? Why are they, why is all that happening? And that's just like, and, and it's important to address, but it's up there. I don't know about you, but I find that when I'm up there, oftentimes it's not healing for me. <laughs> you know, I get, you know, you get frustrated and you get angry and you separate sometimes. And that's one of the hard things with all these questions of how to be a healing person, oftentimes the temptation is just to separate. The temptation is to go, I can't do this. It's too much. It's too complex. It's too, uh, that this issues. And, and um, I, I liked, we saw a video um, in uh, our Kingdom Mosaic last month, which I just want to show. It's like a little two minute video. And I thought it, it did a nice job of addressing this problem. Uh, Kingdom Mosaic, we do uh, just, it's like a discussion, uh, just trying to understand racism better and things on a monthly basis. And, uh, but the video I thought was really good. And I just want us to uh, just take a look at it and consider kind of how it answers this question and that temptation just to go, this is just too much. Does this work? Um, oh, needs sound. Oh, well, well, it, it, it affected me greatly. Yep. Um, oh, you got an idea? Gonna... Oh, look at that. Oh, look at that, Jeff. Jeff. All right, good. No. Do with your life. Give your life completely to business and you see the money piling up. Be a health nut, eat right, go to the gym, and your muscles will grow and your body will look good and you'll see results. But when it comes to justice, it seems like you just can't get ahead. You patch up one hole and something else rips open. You bring peace to one region and war breaks out in another. You rebuild after an earthquake and a tsunami hits. And you work and you work and you work and there's never any profit. There's no bank where you can store a surplus amount of justice in. Stability is never permanent. Something always tips and people always ask, is it even worth it? And that question though understandable it's i mean quite frankly it's ridiculous and it rarely comes from those who are actually tired from pursuing justice and not just tired of the idea 
It rarely comes from people who've labored for years and have good reason to ask it. And you know why they never ask? Those type of people become friends with those who suffer. Family even. Because it's one thing to wonder if someone else's freedom is worth fighting for. But when you begin to identify with that someone else, commune with them, that's when the question is no longer worth asking. That's when it becomes offensive even. What do you mean, is it worth my time? That doesn't even deserve an answer. I don't care how long it takes. I don't care how many times you fail. I don't care how little progress is made. You never stop fighting for your You know, there is a, it doesn't answer those big questions, but just like it's proximity. You know, when you have someone hurting in front of you, sometimes the answer becomes far easier. <laughs> you know, it becomes simple in some ways, caring. And I think, you know, we, I think it begins as believers that we are, we are called to bring God's healing to our hurting world. We need to believe as well that God works through us that God will open doors and that, you know, you may not fix this whole giant thing, but you know something, you can help that person who's right in front of you. And it's not even that hard. And that begins to change you and you become someone who is God. I am part of your hands in this world, changing the whole world. Yeah, I'll give that to God. <laughs> and, and the time will come when he does it. But in that time before God's calling us to be those folks who go out and there's tons of ways to do it and there's tons of contexts and it might just be that hey i'm an element of healing for my neighbor like literally the person in the house next to me the person walking past you know i think i think sometimes we don't think of this this giant noble thing but think of the really common thing you know the common thing that god might lay before you and might put in front of you i think that's often the stuff that we just be faithful in you know, be faithful with what, where God has you, what's in your life, you know, what's happening in your life. You know, if you have a bunch of kids, you're thinking, man, I got no time for anything else but just caring for them going to school. Well, you know something? You may find, if you're open to it, that you find out one of your kid's friend's parents <laughs> needs you just to be a, you're just an agent of healing, right? That happens in so many different ways, right? You know, just sometimes keep it small and just find us to be an agent of healing and then see where God takes it. So I think if we're available to him, he uses us.